0: Today's guest turned his passion for taking photography into a business that made him a lot of money, but then he also turned that into an opportunity to help you find the kind of freedom that you're looking for. So our guest today is Vincent Pugliesi. Are you ready to live life to the full? Are you ready to rise up and live a life of honor? Are you ready to
1: boldly step into a life of courage? This is the Manlyhood Mancast, and here's your host, Josh Atcher.
0: Vincent, thank you so much for being on the Manlyhood Mancast today. I really appreciate you. I appreciate that you gave us the time that you gave us and the wisdom and the insight that you gave us. And uh, if you guys want to get connected with the work that Vincent is doing, his links are in the show notes. Please, let's go show show him some love. We're glad that he took the time to talk with us today. And listen, guys. Uh, I really believe in what we're doing here at Manlyhood and obviously you believe into, in it too because you've been listening and you've been a part of it. and You've been interacting on the on the social media posts and been interacting in our group at the Manlyhood Man Cave. And I just want to encourage you guys that we are going to change the world. This is not just a, a podcast that you listen to twice a week. This is a movement that you are now enlisted in and that you are a part of. I want to see our impact double before we turn 10 years old in May. And so I'm going to ask you a favor. I'm going to ask you to find three people that you know this podcast would benefit, and I want you to share it with them. Because chances are one of them will listen. And if one of them listens, then we have now doubled your listenership, right? So let's spread the word. So share this with somebody. If you see our social posts, like, comment, share share them as well. And if you are using a podcast app, leave a rating or a review. But let's help get the word out about what we're doing here at Manlyhood. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Gentlemen, welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. We are glad that you're taking the time to tune in today. We've got some great stuff for you. Today's interview uh, is going to be well worth the listen. We'll get into it in just a minute. But before we do, I just want to encourage you guys, you matter and you matter to me and you matter to the people in your life. So if you're feeling like quitting, if you're feeling like getting discouraged, if you're feeling like giving up, don't, don't because you matter and I'm glad that you're here. Your story isn't over and you've got a job to do. So I want you to imagine what your life is supposed to be like if it's not there yet. And then I want you to focus on what you have to do to get there. You don't have to be disappointed and discouraged and empty and void. You've got a, you've got a purpose. So seek it out, brother. I believe in you. If you need help with that, you need some friends along the way. I want to encourage you to join the manlihood man cave, which is our private Facebook group. And let's talk about it. Reach out. Let's get you connected with some guys that can help you grow into what you need to be. Guys, today's guest, Vincent Pugliesi has written the book The Wealth of Connection, a new approach to making business personal. And he started out as a photographer and built a successful business. And then used that to launch his life to be exactly what he wanted it to be. Freedom. Freedom. And uh, he's going to talk to us today about that process, about what that looks like, and about how we can build the kind of life that we want. So without further ado, here's Vincent Pugliesi. Vincent, it is great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for coming on and talking to our guests today, man.
1: Josh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to do this.
0: Yeah, I've been looking over the work that you do, and it seems like you're doing some good stuff. I know it's not just for men, the work that you do, but I definitely think men can get a lot out of this. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, right now, it's funny because it's like when people say, oh, tell us about yourself, I go, I'm kind of like a cat. So, which life? Like, I've had like nine lives. So do you want this version, that version? I was a professional photographer for 22 years which is what I thought I always would be. And I got to do like the cool stuff. I was a journalist. So I'd shoot the Super Bowl, the World Series. When the president would come to town, I would get assigned for it. I got to spend the day with the Dalai Lama in New York City, just hanging out with the Dalai It's really cool stuff. And it was my passion to be a journalist and a storyteller. But it got to where I was doing it for the wrong reasons by the end. I was doing it for the attention that I got. I was doing it because people thought it was a really cool thing. And I didn't get that attention probably earlier in life that I wanted and this was my thing that people just, whether you're a sports fan or entertainment, there was always something that I was doing that got people's attention and it made me, like I was, like like I had something that people wanted conversationally or whatever. So I really used it as a crutch and then eventually it was like, is this all I am? Is this what I'm gonna be? And so it, it shifted. I started writing a book called Freelance to Freedom which published in 2018. It was basically how we took, a freelance career, a struggling freelance career into a successful business, into a life of freedom, which is a core value of mine, which is time freedom. We have three boys, we homeschool, and being there to raise them and spend this time together and do work that we love that benefits others while I control my schedule, like uh, that's important to me. So that book led to a whole different world that I didn't even know was available. Like I always thought you got you worked, you got paid right? you were either freelancer or you're, you're an employee. But with a book, it was like people want your advice without even realizing it. So you have coaching. So it starts with coaching. And then I did a mastermind. I still do. And then a membership. And then speaking. And then courses. And then how'd this world happen, right? So that's the world that I'm in right now is one of almost like our solar system of the idea of freedom and connection is like the son of it. But all these other things come around it. And I spend my time on one thing, but it reproduces into nine to 10 income streams. And I'm like, man, how did that happen? Because it wasn't planned. So now I teach that. I teach that to people that have more creative entrepreneurs that have a passion to do something. They don't think they can do it. And I open eyes and doors. You have an idea. You have many ways of getting this out to the world at all different price points to give yourself that life of freedom. So that's where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I can relate to some of your stories. I was a journalist in radio and television as well. So, you know, there was, I can know, I know what that world's a little bit, you get that excitement and you enjoy being recognized, but I'm in the very small town of Bradford PA. So here, okay. You're reading somebody's name on the news and then you go to a restaurant the next day and they're giving you the dirty look. So, <laughs> Yeah. There's not much
1: separation there. There's not, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was a definitely a different world, but I know that feeling of there's a little bit of excitement and that was always what I wanted to do as well. And, uh, and now I'm like, nah, you couldn't pay me. They couldn't pay me then either, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. If they
1: wouldn't pay you then. They, you won't even let them pay you now. Yeah, you know?
0: Exactly. Exactly. I did. I did some newspaper stuff and some photography as well. It was fun while it lasted, and I still get to use all of those skills just in different places today.
1: Absolutely. Like that, that's what we – like people like, what are you? And am I a writer? Am I a podcaster? Am I a photographer? And even when we started our own business, my wife and I, we were equals in this. And we – her name's Elizabeth. I'm Vincent. And we called it Elizabeth Vincent Storytellers. And this was 15, 17 years ago. And the internet – like – Facebook wasn't even out yet. Internet was going, but Facebook, all the social media wasn't there. There wasn't all these catchphrases, but we're storytellers. So what I learned is that's a, not only is it a marketable skill, but it's a transferable skill, meaning I can, if I'm a good storyteller, I can go on stage, I could write a book, I could do a podcast, I could shoot pictures. As long as you're good at telling stories, you're very marketable. And I think that's an undervalued skill in the culture today.
0: Yeah. So another thing that you talked about there that I definitely think is of interest to men, men. Now I'm not so ridiculous to think that the idea that a man who provides means that the woman can never work. My wife makes, has a kind of back and forth between who's bringing in more cash for the family Mm -hmm. at the moment. I think she's a little ahead of me right now. She's beating you right now? Yeah. She's a little ahead of me. That doesn't mean I'm not the, not a provider, but I do think that by default men want to provide. So I think a lot about that concept that you're talking about of that multiple income stream. And uh, I think that'd be a really, I think that a lot of men may be stuck in their nine to five or, but, and they know they've got ideas, but they don't even know where to start or what that looks like. Yep.
1: Yeah. It's, I think it's a fascinating, I love it. If I didn't get paid to do this, I would do it anyway, because whether we're going to church or friends coming over, sometimes I could be a little overbearing because I get so excited about the concept because you see a potential, I can't even tell you the amount of examples that I'm talking to people and I see them in their job and they make a $100,000 a year, they make $80,000 a year and they're so skilled. And I have to explain to them, if they're paying you 80 grand, that means you're probably bringing in somewhere close to three hundred or $400,000 for the company. Otherwise, why would they pay you? They're not paying you 80 grand for you to bring in 100 grand. It's not worth it to them with everything that goes on. You've got to have a skill in some way that's bringing them more, and when I could start letting them know, if you have that lack of a security gland, like I don't have a security gland, my wife has more of one than I do, but not too bad, which allows me to take risks. Now I don't expect anybody to be as risky as I am with it, but I'm unemployable. Like I will be fired if I had a job by 9:01 a.m. on Monday morning. I want to do things my way. I want my own freedom and. An employer would not put up with me. And I totally get that. And many people are the opposite. But when they start seeing the seeds of, wait a second, if I can do this for this company, why can't I do a similar skill in an interest that I have on my own? And on my own, maybe even on the side for a while. Of course, it's going to be that way slowly. But the amount of people I've coaxed into a corporate job, and I'm not sure how much your audience is corporate. I'm not corporate. But have a corporate job... And they can't get out of it because they go, I'm making good money. I want to do this thing over here. How do I even get there? And I talk about a thing called a bridge. Like you we live in Florida. There's these beautiful islands, right? On the west coast, Sarasota. You don't just walk from the mainland to the island. There are bridges that get you there. So the way I like to talk about it is like you gotta build a bridge to get to really where you want to go. Because people say, I don't want to do that forever. Nobody's asking you to do anything forever. What I'm asking you to do is create something to get you out of the situation that you're in, to get you on a bridge to get there because once you get there and you free up time and you free up money, your head clears up and then you go, wait a second, I know what the island is. The island is me doing blah, whatever it is and then when you have the time and the money to be able to really fund that, then you go after the dream. Most people try to go right to the dream, they don't see a correlation from their job to the money it would get as a writer or a podcaster and they quit. So my passion is getting people from that mainland to the island.
0: Yeah. What what does that look like? So you, obviously, everybody is probably different, but I imagine there's probably some formulas that kind of apply across the board, some principles across the board, right?
1: Yeah, you're figuring out what your skills are. You're figuring out what your passions are. Like, what do you want to do? We don't ever ask this in school. My biggest, we homeschool our kids. One of my biggest problems with school, even when I was a kid, when I was a kid was Nobody ever asked me what I liked. And as adults, it's the same thing. Nobody's asking you what you want to do. When I'm into something, Josh, I am like into it, right? My son, we have interest-based learning with them. He'll read for four hours a day because I'm not telling him what to read. I'm just saying you got to read. So he read about bugs when he was four years old. Now he's got his own business at 17 years old related to bugs where he does birthday parties and events and he helps people get over their fears that wasn't my idea that was his idea that we harnessed and gave him the space to do that so when you can take your passions and your interests and your skills and you can then say how is this marketable in a small way right how what are areas that you can go when you start breaking that down you go oh wait a second I could do that you start unlocking potential and even just passion just excitement from going from defeated to they're pushed out a little bit like excited they could do something and that's so much of it when you have the belief that you can do it you will weather through the hard times because there's going to be hard times but it's the people that don't have the energy to do that and they're more comfortable in a job more power to them they're just not people that i'm going to have the discussion with because i'm not into pulling your ear to come along with me i'm I like guiding people that want to get there. So, yeah, everybody's different, but there are certain things in terms of your passions, your interests, and your skills that can be blended to start creating that path.
0: Yeah. And when we talk about skills, that's something that you can learn. So, some people may say, well, I want to do this. I want to tell my story, but I'm not a writer. You can learn to be a writer without a doubt. I'm not a writer.
1: I've, I have two books. I still don't consider myself a writer. I feel like, like oh, I got interviewed today. Oh, we have the author on today, and I bristle at that. I'm like, am I really? I just wrote a lot of words and put them together. It turned out to be a book. But I'm not like, I see authors as a different type of person. But absolutely, my whole thing was, even going to our photography career, I was a beginner, right? Everybody's a beginner. And I was terrible. And I worked. And I busted it. Eventually, I became an expert. I became very well paid. I could do the work that I wanted to do. I didn't have to work that much. And... So what happened was, what I learned, and this I use this in teaching, is I became an expert, but I was not a beginner in anything. So I got bored. And I think a lot of employees get this way. I'm really good at what, I talked to a million, I'm really good at what I do. I get paid well, doesn't challenge me, I'm not excited by it, and I'm, I can't give this job up because it pays well, but I'm bored. And so what I figured out with that is I, along with people that I work with, you want to be in three spots at all times. For me, and it could be your podcast, it could be your book, but I want to be always be a beginner in something, I always want to be growing something, and I always want to be an expert in something. So if I'm an expert, financially I'm probably pretty good. I'm making decent money, at least, if not more. That's cool. I don't really need to be challenged as much. It doesn't require as much time. I'm an expert there. Growing is something that I've built that I'm passionate about bringing to the next level. This might replace my expert status. I might get rid of that thing, sell that thing, Continue, but I'm growing something. But the beginner part is the most fun because the beginner part, which I always have to be, is my chance of failure. And I always have to be out there with the potential of failing at something. When I'm an expert, that chance is very low because I'm just good at it. Unless I really screw up big time, I'm not going to fail at it for the most part. But writing a book when I've never written a book, starting a podcast when I've never done that, starting a speaking career, that's frightening to some people. Until you can realize, I need to be in all three of these categories at some point. So if you got a good job, your beginner might be, I'm going to write a book. And i got to learn that world. I don't know that world, but this expert thing is funding me able to do that. But if that book can turn into speaking gigs, now the book is the thing I'm growing. I'm trying to build that. The speaking is the thing I'm beginner at. The expert thing is paying the bills. Eventually, one of those things is going to jump up to expert status, and you have the decision of saying, If I leave the job and I'm making good money speaking but I'm only speaking 15 times a year, wow, I'm making more money speaking. I'm spending more time with my kids and my wife, my spouse, and I'm happier doing the work that I love to do, that's when it gets really fun because that's when what I call the solar system, your speaking turns into more books. Your speaking turns into coaching. Your speaking turns into courses. And you go, how in the world do I have more things on my plate now It requires less time and make more money? And I'm less stressed. And that's when people go, I don't know how these people do all these things. It's because they do it this way and they build one thing and they build multiple things around it that every time I go on a podcast could sell potentially any one of them. So I don't need to market eight businesses. I need to market one that has all these other things off of it. So that's a path to get there.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot about the fact that, you know, most men have hobbies. At least they should have hobbies, I think. You mm-hmm. should have something that you enjoy doing that's fun. Um, but at the same time, what's wrong with a hobby that pays? <laughs> you um, know, like for me, I love the idea of shooting guns. Shooting guns is fun, but I don't have a way to monetize that. So if I have an hour to spend one evening or afternoon, there's times when I might want to go shoot guns, but what if I took and I found that thing that I enjoy more of? that I can do better, that I can turn into a profit faster, and I'll focus on that. Now, I will probably never be a guy that shoots guns for money because I'm not that good at it, but if that is something I was super passionate about, for me, that's just a little side hobby. It's something I like to do to relieve stress, and I don't even do it that often. But if I wanted to.
1: But there's so many more things than just shooting guns to make money about shooting guns. I think immediately I have a 14-year-old that loves to shoot guns. So if you're the expert at it, And I can learn from you. Can my son come in and do a lesson with you to learn how to shoot guns better? You just created an income stream right there. Right Now, the things that you teach when you're coaching can turn into a mini book. The things that you write about the book can turn into a course because some people don't want to read a book. They want to take a course. Some people want one-on-one. What you're looking at, I don't know if you're a sports fan at all. You a sports fan? A little bit, yeah. What's the closest team, stadium?
0: We're probably closest to Buffalo.
1: Okay, okay. You go to a Bills game, I've shot there many times, You or a Sabres game, you don't walk in and it's $50 a ticket, right? What the Bills and the Sabres and every team has figured out is, now some people want to come in and spend 13 bucks and sit in the nosebleeds. Some people want to come in and spend 30 bucks and have this better access. Some people want a luxury box. Some people want box seats where they might have access to the field pregame. They've learned the same thing with one product They're satisfying seven different customers because I don't, when I'm in the nosebleed, I'm getting a completely different experience than the person in the box by the field. That's their pregame. They're completely different products in many ways with the same game on the field. So for you, if you're learning how to shoot, teaching how to shoot guns, I could think of five, seven ways that you can earn money off of that all while getting better at what you do. That's your expert thing, going to a beginner and then growing.
0: And I think that's the cool thing is that I, that whatever it is that you're passionate about or that you enjoy doing, there's somebody willing to pay for what, you know, always. And we don't
1: see we, here's what happens to a lot of people. I think a lot, and I do this myself. I'd never pay for that. I think because I'd never pay for it. Nobody else will. I'll give you an example. We used to photograph weddings and when we got married, we didn't have a whole lot of money so we did and we were photographers so we wrongfully assumed that all of our friends were there to take pictures because all of our friends are photographers they weren't they were there to drink and have a good time so they weren't taking very many pictures we didn't take the wedding photography very seriously we didn't spend very much money and our wedding photographs suck they're just terrible our photographer who was friends with us i walked outside and he was drinking with our friends i'm like you need to be in there like this stuff's going on so we blew that one because we didn't value it because we just took it for granted. Then we started getting hired and our quality of our work went up and up. And then one time we got hired and it was a big money wedding. We got big money. And I couldn't believe they hired us. And then I talked to the dad and I just I didn't allude to it. I didn't want to seem like I didn't believe in myself, but I just was asking curious questions. And he and I basically talked about the cost of the wedding. And He goes, Vincent, I have one daughter. I make... Half a million dollars a year, and I have one daughter. That she's dreamed about this since she was seven. This day, when it comes to money, I don't care. He and he basically said to me, "I could have charged twice as much. He would have hired me because because we are who she wanted." And I realized immediately, we're different people when it comes to being a client. I wouldn't have paid my prices, but he would have paid double. So we often don't think we because we wouldn't spend it. We wouldn't think other people would when they're like you just said. There's always somebody willing to do it. If they know who you are, if they trust you and you do good work, if you had those relationships.
0: Yeah. I think that our culture has done us a disservice in that most careers, the idea of an eight hour workday, which is actually not, it's a new phenomenon, right? That's Mm -hmm. something that, you know, that the unions pushed for what turn of the last century started that kind of concept. And we've gradually slipped into a salary slash Free overtime society again, mm-hmm. where you just work all the time, and a lot of guys might feel like, "Man, I just don't have time to do this. I don't have time to get started with that." That seems like an easy excuse, but what what would you tell that guy? The time
1: the time is the key. I think saying that out loud and then thinking about that is the key. I have a mastermind that I run, and we had a call this morning, and I said, I asked them a question, and I said, I did this assessment for myself. The top three things that money brings to my life. And I asked them what it was to them. And for me, it's time. It is freedom of location. Moving to Florida here with sunshine has done more for my happiness because of the sun. That's just how I'm wired. And then quality food. Those are three things, right? I want to live a healthy life. I enjoy it. So you have to figure out what your three are. Well, what's interesting is these are all entrepreneurs in my group. Every one of them had time as number one or number two in terms of what money does for them, meaning it frees up time. So having your own business frees that up. It's the employee, this is the hardest part because when you get into that rabbit trail that you just talked about, we push you into this full-time work, school does this from the very, the bus is gonna show up and you're gonna get on that bus. You don't have a choice, young man, young woman. You're getting on that bus. You're gonna be there till four o'clock. You're gonna get on the bus and go home and we've trained kids from a young age, that this is how life works. So when they go out into the real world, the idea of running their own thing is so frightening because they're used to the security of a bus coming, people telling them what to do, when a bell rings, I don't care how great your work is, you're gonna stop doing that work and you're gonna go do some other work that might be meaningless. We've trained kids for years to do this. People aren't naturally not entrepreneurial. They've been trained from a young age to not be entrepreneurial. So they can go be good little employees for the owners of the businesses. That's what needs to change is the belief in yourself that I have a skill, that I can take that chance and I need to free up that time because when I free up that time and I could do work in one day, that's all the work I need for the week. Guess what? It's easy to write a book when you have four extra days in the week to do what you want to do. But most people never get that time. It's not the money. They don't get the time and they will, unless they change it, they will be stuck in that for a long time.
0: Yeah. I fully can see that and relate, man. I got a day job at the moment, so I can relate.
1: Does that make sense? Do yeah. Agree, do, yeah. When, in terms of that part, sorry. When
0: that's okay, there, there's going to come a point where, you know, and because I'm an entrepreneur at heart and I always have been like my first official job was at a radio station, but before that I was mowing lawns and mm-hmm. had a paper route where it's, yeah. I'm the boss, there's rules that you have to do for your customers and your, but I had my own thing. So that's always in me, man. And. Um, and so I'm the kind of guy now, most of my kids are grown. I've just got one left at home. So I've got more time to spend Mm -hmm. in the evenings. And so I'm working on building what I want to, who who knows where that may go. And that's, I think that middle ground is the hard part. The, I know where I want to go, but I'm going to have to double up a little bit to get there. Yep.
1: It's hard because when you get in the job, it brings comfort. You get paid a certain amount of money for a certain amount of work. And to do this, it requires that push. It really does, and I'm not a big grind, hustle and grind guy, but my story was, I was a newspaper photographer, my wife and I were, and it was 2005, and we were having our first kid, and I was international sports photographer for the year. I won the biggest award possible. I was making $32,000 a year, and I got a 3% raise. And I was like, this, I can't, mm-hmm. I got, this is the biggest award I could win. I have a baby coming, and I can barely even pay the bills. My wife wants to stay home. And it was that point that we, I went home, I called my dad to see if I could work with him, and he turned me down. He had his own <laughs> business, and right? So worst day ever, but he said something that changed my life. And I hope somebody listening hears this. He said, I've been trying to tell you this, but you haven't listened. Maybe you're going to listen now. He said, you've got a skill, but you're not using it correctly. And this is what goes to so many employees. And I said, what, did you, what do you mean? And he said, you've become a really good photographer, but you're settling. You're settling for $32,000 a year in benefits, Because you could take that same skill, this is where I learned it from, take that same skill and you can go shoot weddings. You can go shoot commercial or corporate work. You could shoot sports for magazines. You can set your income, no ceiling, and you can control your time and you're settling. That, I'm telling you, Josh, it kicked me in the gut because usually parents are like, go the easy route, get a job, benefits. He did the exact opposite. The next day we started our first business. I didn't even know how to start a business. The first year was rough because I had to learn everything. So now i got a full-time job, wife, baby, and now nights, weekends, and mornings, I am studying business, which I've never learned. School never taught me. And the people that did teach me in the school didn't know what the heck they were talking about. So I didn't know anything. First year in business was hard. We made some mistakes. Second year was the hardest year of our life. 2007, I wrote my first book called The Year of Work. But we had a goal to use that money that we learned that we earned from the business to pay off our debt. So what we did was instead of increasing our income, our lifestyle, we took that extra income, paid down the debt, lived exactly the same way, but built the business. So when I quit the job, the business was now making twice as much as the job was, our debt was completely gone, and it was literal instant freedom. To That's where awesome. I worked 2 days a month cuz two weddings a month paid the bills, and then I was going to the park with my kids every day. I'm like who gets to live like this? This was a, coming from where I came from. That's where the title "Freelance to Freedom" for the first book came from, because that's exactly what it was. But it it is hard in the beginning, and you have to understand that. But i But I said it. Would you trade a year of work for a lifetime of freedom? If you could answer that question yes, you will do the work. If you can't answer that question yes, you, you probably won't.
0: You talked about this earlier, and I think it's a, a worthy rabbit trail to go down. So we homeschooled our kids as well. And it was definitely a worthwhile endeavor because this, mm. this you're right. The school, it's eight hours. You get your lunch break. You get your recess, which is still school almost. And, and then telling you, you when you could eat. Yeah. And uh, and what you can eat sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. and how you can eat and how much noise you can make while you're eating it. and uh, And so- <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's a machine. It really is. And so our kids, we did a virtual charter school. So we actually, they had a school online and they had some things that they had to do and classes they had to attend, but there was so much more freedom. Mm -hmm. And dude, it was so worth it. If my kids wanted to learn about, and they weren't teaching it in the class that they were doing, we'd go to the library. Like it's a rabbit trail worth talking about, man. What, what made you guys decide you wanted to do that?
1: The funny thing is everybody, we have so many people say, I could never do that. And if you want to challenge me, tell me you can never do something. I, will, I hate that. How do you know you can never do it? Have you done it? And the people that did it even during COVID, I said that wasn't homeschooling. That was pandemic schooling. That was mm-hmm. not what we do. We did not sit in front of Zoom in the house all day. That's not what we do. We explore. We learn. So the idea... So we didn't come from, oh, we are natural homeschoolers. We were not. We have three boys, and the first two were in school, third and first grade. And I met a guy named Ken Carfagno. who became one of my best friends. And they homeschooled. And I I tell you, at that moment in my life, I thought homeschoolers were people that made their own clothes and wore funny hats. like And they were just really awkward people. I believe that so many people still do. And then he laughed about it. He told me what their life was like and what their days were like and how his son wakes up and gets his work done. And they're out hiking at noon, and they're, I'm like, that sounds like the life that we want, but we're not doing it, and then I said, well, I'm a hypocrite, because I'm an entrepreneur, I build my own business, I believe in freedom, but I'm sending my kid on a bus, where I don't have any say in what they do, and they're learning to be employees. What a hypocrite I am, right, to do this. So I talked to Elizabeth, and I said, what do you think? And then she talked to Teresa, Ken's wife, and a week later, we're like, we're doing this. It might fail, but hey, we're going to give it a shot. So that was eight years ago. And it was probably the best decision we've ever made in our lives as parents to do this. Because the relationships that we've built, the memories that we've made, we've traveled three, four months at a time in the winter. We lived in Pittsburgh because we're like, hey, we work from anywhere. We homeschool. Let's just go. Let's go see the world. That's So when people say, where do your kids go to school? I laugh and I go everywhere. You know, when they're digging for spiders. At 7.30 on Saturday morning, that's school. When we're on the beach with the metal detector looking for rare coins, which my son loves studying, at 9 o'clock on a Saturday night, that's school. Why does school have to happen between Monday through Friday between 8 and 4? Who decided that? Everything is school. We're always learning. So I, so it was a journey like that, and, and I will never regret. We gave up a lot. There's no doubt. We gave up a lot. We gave up a lot of income. We gave up a lot of our own time, but that's so le- so much less important than what we got out of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My kids were also entrepreneurial and still are. My son has got a wedding photography and videography business and oh. it, right now it's a side gig. He's trying to build it to be more yeah. and they're building it pretty well. I think they're at the, they just hit their debt free stage after a year of doing that. He's really good. And he learned, he started doing stuff with me. Cause I was shooting videos for clients and doing marketing stuff and he was doing graphic design with me and whatever I needed. I'm like, I have got more work than I can do. I could pay you, you know, 10 bucks an hour. And that's more money than you're going to get anywhere at that point He's okay. So he paid for his school doing that. He was working for me, working for a couple jobs and doing school. And I'm telling you, before he graduated high school, he was before he graduated high school and went to college, he had already surpassed my knowledge when it came to video and photography. So like, I'm like, Hey man, if I get a request, I'm just sending it to you now. So how he got started.
1: So the lesson there for anybody listening is it's like $10 an hour. Is not the same as $10 an hour somewhere else. $10 an hour at Chick-fil-A, not nothing against Chick-fil-A, love their sandwiches, but $10 an hour there, maybe you're learning leadership, maybe, I don't know, but l- literally he's learning a skill that he could turn into a business and get referrals from you and then take that $10 an hour and turn it into a job that makes you debt-free and eventually is going to be a full-time income on his own terms. That's huge. Congratulations.
0: Yeah. And he learned all the other skills as well that I, that he learned marketing, he learned graphic design, he learned how to build a website. And so, you know, all the stuff that he needed to promote that business. And yeah, he went to college and I think he was like me when he was in college, he was like, why am I paying this money to learn something <laughs> I've already been doing? <laughs> oh,
1: that's a whole nother conversation. You want to talk college with a whole nother conversation. Yeah, yeah. I agree. That's wonderful. Yeah.
0: And my youngest, she's 17. She is now officially, she. a couple of years ago, we decided to go ahead and let her, she wanted to go to the high school. And we said, okay. Yeah. So she's getting ready to do her senior year, but she's got a business and she was making really good money. She had a couple of jobs and realized that they just weren't for her. And she's like, I like doing this. She wanted to be a nurse. That was what she was going to, you know, she's mm-hmm. taking the nursing votech at the school. And she's like, this is what I want to do. And now she gets home during the pandemic, all this stuff happened and she's back to school. She realized I like doing my business. This is what mm. I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So she's What's all really in.
1: cool. What's really cool is I think young kids now have so many more opportunities that we did. You've got the phone, you got the computer, you can design your own stuff. When I came out of high school, it's like you hand a paper application to a manager and you hope they call you back. There wasn't these opportunities. I'm so excited for our kids, for your kids. Because I think they see this world that we know, and they want that world now as opposed to going to a job that is soulless for 15 years and then with a spouse and kids and a mortgage having to figure out. That's a hard time to do it. So I think the future is bright in that way. If they can financially get their stuff together, it's sad how little about finances people know or are taught. I just posted on social media today that the average millennial not even including a house, has $100,000 in debt. The average. That's a recipe for disaster. And where did we learn this from? Financial education was not there. So no matter how much you have an entrepreneurial spirit, if you don't have your money together, you can't out-earn your money stupidity. We need to get that straight, and that's going to be the next challenge, I think.
0: Yeah, I think most people are even starting out with almost that much debt in student loan debt. And that's probably not even counted in that figure of how much debt they're in. I think
1: student loans probably takes up a bunch of that, but that's the whole thing. It's like yeah. we got to seriously ask ourselves is this, st- is this worth it anymore like it was in the 70s and 80s? Because if, think about it, a millennial, there are 40 year olds that are millennials now. If you have $100,000 or close to it in student loan debt, you have to ask yourself, was the, Not only was the degree worth it, but really think about this because if it was worth it in any way, wouldn't the income from the job that you got from your degree have paid you well enough to not have student loan debt? There's so many issues there. And parents are still in the fog from their years of college being important that they still think it is. And, I, yeah, I get it. If you're an engineer, if you're a doctor, yes. Sure. But for 75% of the people going, no, it's not. And I think there's a day of reckoning coming with it because it can't sustain like this forever.
0: And the other bottom line is we always still need workers. There's a always. sawmill that needs somebody to work and cut the boards. Yeah. I think of Pa Ingalls on Little House on the Prairie. My daughter was watching that when I stopped by her house and saw my grandbaby today. They were Love watching her. Little House on the Prairie. And Pa Ingalls is working the farm. And then when he needs a little extra cash, he goes and he works at the mill and then that becomes his job. And then the farm was on the side, but he was happy and he was free. And if you need to take a day off to focus on the farm, whatever the sawmill guy, Mr. Olson, I think he was okay Okay. with that. Yeah, (laughs) of course.
1: And there's always, I don't think there's ever even going to be a problem with that. There's always going to be people that are not entrepreneurial, but but you said you have that spirit. I have that spirit. I think more people had that spirit early and I think it gets beaten out of them. Curiosity gets beaten out of them early in school, and they think they're not. They think they're employees. But when if people studied the school system and saw that it was literally developed to create employees, they would question them saying that. Horace Mann, who did this in Germany in the 1800s, they set the school system up, which we copied, to literally say, here's how we create good little employees. We could pat them in the head and tell them what to do. It was mm-hmm. not built for regular for careers, the way we would think. So we think i am never, I'm not entrepreneurial. No, you were trained not to be entrepreneurial. And I think if people could see that maybe they can reconsider a little bit.
0: I think that's just the thing. Like most jobs that have a nine to five, if I think about my, even my day job, if they were run with the kind of efficiency and ownership that, and leadership that needed to happen, I think that you, it wouldn't be a nine to five. It wouldn't take eight hours to get the work done. And, and I think that's part of the problem is we've just created this culture that keeps everybody in. I'll give
1: you an example. A guy that was in our mastermind, he was one of the, he was one of the few employees, full-time employees. And he would call me with all these little things. And I said, Nick, I said, what are you doing? I said, I gotta, I don't have time for all these little conversations. I'm doing stuff. And I, finally I got tired of it because he it can go on and on. And he finally realized, wow, you guys are all entrepreneurs. You come in, you get stuff done, you move on to the next thing. He goes, I'm so used to the water cooler mentality of I'm getting paid and I'm here till five o'clock so I can chit chat and I can do whatever. And he's pulling me into that world. And I'm like, listen, I want to be efficient with my work so I can go to the beach with my kids. I'm not scheduled here till 5 p.m. I get my stuff done. I move. Yeah, he, he had cool. no options. So had, their option was just to talk. And the chap, you're not pulling me into that world. And he saw it before I did. I said, what are we doing this for? He's so used to just that environment and the wasted time that comes with it. So I think you're right.
0: I think it's inefficient
1: in a lot of ways. And if it was run more entrepreneurially, it would be better for everybody. And it would be more profitable.
0: uh, Some of the evidence, if we we relate that, we go back to the kids. When my kids were doing school, like I said, it was a virtual charter school. So it was like pandemic school before pandemic. But they had a certain amount of work they had to get done. And most days, they were done by 1 o'clock because they could do stuff at, they were given their assignments. They got their lesson, they could work at their own pace. And if you can work faster then you don't need to waste all that time. I had a job one time where dude, I got like, I had to do order entry and I figured out how to double up on things and how to save keystrokes and write macros and all this stuff, just because it was so boring. And I got to the place where I was doing about a hundred times the orders that the other people were doing wow. because I had worked out the system and. Yeah. They shut it down. They're like, no, you can't do this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I get it.
0: So what else for the men that are listening that are definitely entrepreneurial that that are listening to this and they're like aching inside because this is, they're like, yes, I'm all in. I need to know. What else do they need to know to make this happen? How do you make it your lifestyle? Mm
1: What I learned, I learned this in photography. What I would do is, I didn't know anybody in the photography world. So what I did was, I bought tickets to the cheapest tickets to baseball games in New York where I lived, and I snuck down to the front row. I figured out the security guards' patterns. That's how passionate I was. And I was in the front row, and I figured out where the photographers were. I saw their photo wall next to the dugout, and I started asking them questions. I started, "What film do you use? What cameras? What should I be looking at? What could I afford? Who do you work for? Who's your editor?" Like, this was. Nine innings. In between innings, I would ask them questions. I annoyed the crap out of them, but it was, you know, it was so valuable, and I made some really good friends. Those led to my first internships. One associated to the National Hockey League, and then one. Then I started working for the World Wrestling Federation back in the heyday. The attitude era. I. I that's a whole other conversation we could have about that world because that was wild. <laughs> but that led to my career. Then shooting the all this stuff, and all the connections that came from it, and what I learned is the people that I surround myself with are the ones that gave me the information and gave me the connections. So my whole thing is, and it's what we do for a living, is you've got to get around people that are doing this. Because we have people join our group and they're successful in their business, but they're lonely. Because what they've learned is, even entrepreneurially, you're working from home, most people don't get you. Your brother-in-law doesn't get you. He's got a job. Your mother doesn't understand what you do. You're a podcaster. What does that even mean? Whatever it is. And you're kind of like, "Well, I'm doing my dream life, but nobody gets it." So, I didn't even realize when we started Total Life Freedom it was like it was basically for lonely entrepreneurs to to gather and to brainstorm and to mastermind and to do calls where we can talk about things like podcasting, social media, business Q&A, stuff like that. One way or the other, you've got to get around people that are doing what you want to be doing, that are generous in helping and giving advice, that want to be helped by you as well because everybody can give something. Some people are like, oh, I have nothing to give. No, maybe it's your encouragement. Maybe you are more encouraging. You might not be as talented or you might not be as successful, but you're more encouraging. So you got to get around people that are doing it, that want to be doing it and get away from people that will tell you that you can't. The problem is when you're in that world, most of those people in that world think you can't because if they tried it, it didn't work. So they're gonna pull you back down with them. And you, and my whole thing is whether it's me or the people with it, it's like get around people that understand where you're coming from and soak all that in. Because that's the key, that's the growth, that's the collaboration that I talk about in my book.
0: Yeah, and that, that makes me think a lot about the, that book, the second book that you've written about connection. And mm-hmm. tell me more about, about that. How important is that connection and what other ways do we connect?
1: It's everything. I don't do business well in some ways. Like we don't have great lead magnets and funnels and website optimization. I never. I pay attention to relationships and connections. And through that, with doing other things wrong, all the doors kept opening, all the opportunities kept happening because I stayed in touch with people. I I helped people. I connected them together, and then when things opened up, whatever went one way or the other, I put out a book and they all promoted. They all tell their friends about it. I have 100 reviews on Amazon on both of my books without any type of marketing campaign. 150 reviews. The mastermind sold out. We did an online sports course, sports photography. You made, what was it, $32,000 in a day, $54,000 in a week. And that was all through a collaboration. It was not through anything else. So for me, the idea of connection is everything. And what I learned is most people do it wrong. Meaning creatives, they will create something. They'll do a podcast or they'll write a book. They'll start to do a service and then they'll blast it out there. They'll tell everybody, they'll annoy everybody with it. And then you need to collaborate with people. Like you need to get around influencers and pod, they need to talk about it. So then they go and they say, hey, Josh, I want to be on your show. And you're like, I don't even know who you are, right? I don't even know you. It, relationships build these things. Connections build these things. So they go to connect, and, but they go, connect in a very selfish way. How can I get what I want? And you see this in this world a lot. My goal with this book is to make the entrepreneur world less selfish, because there's a lot of selfishness in it. So what I figured out is the foundation of it is your character, the trust that you give, the trust that you build, your generous goals over your selfish goals, meaning how do I make this interview more valuable to Josh than it is for me? Because if it is, I'll get whatever I need, things will happen from it. But the whole thing is, how am I making generous goals that are win, win, win for everybody? Not about, hey, how do I scam somebody into buying my crap? Like It's not what it's about. A lot of people do that. When you have your character and you have curiosity, you're always asking questions. You're always wondering how you can improve. You're always wondering what other people need, what you can help them with. When you have character and curiosity, it's the foundation. That leads to connection. right? You go backwards. Then, connection, here's the fun part, leads to collaboration. When you have great connections, People invite you onto their platform. They bring you onto stage with them. They share your work. They promote your stuff. So every time you create something, which is the last thing, you have a team behind you that want to help you. So I don't worry about it because I have great connections and collaborations that when we put the next thing out, it works because people are willing to help. But it's only because it's built that way and not the selfish way backwards. That's what the book is about.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel that way with what I'm doing with manlyhood. is that everybody that I interview, I feel I'll be talking he's my friend. I just talk about all of the people that I interview as my friend because I that's how I think of you guys. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. I may not have known you before the interview, but we spent an hour together and I got about. to know you and now we're friends. And so when I'm doing my thing and I mentions Hey, I have really been wanting to launch my business and I don't even know where to start or I need some help getting a feel for how to do this. I know who to send them to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that's the joy about, about connecting is that you, if you treat people like you want to be treated and you operate with integrity, doors open.
1: Doors open. And
0: I'm grateful, right?
1: Like you send somebody to me for our group and they're a great member of it. I'm like, I'll always remember your name every time I see their face, right? I think right now, MJ James connected us for this. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who you like. That is somebody that brings people together and now I have a new friend from it because she went out of her way to do that. And you become that type of person that does that for others. You lift both people up that are in your network, which invariably lifts you up because your network gets stronger as opposed to competition. We're thinking collaboration. That's the way this world works. So when you come in selfishly, you might do well for a little while, and even if you do well for a long while, you will not have a good reputation within the world. And it's just not the way to do it anymore.
0: It's funny because when you walk into the room and you're about collaboration rather than competition, the people who are into competition don't know what to do with you.
1: They don't. You're absolutely right. You're, it's, and, you, and the more you understand that, the more you see it. Happening where with, with most people wouldn't even see it, you almost have spider sense about it. You can sense by the way they ask questions, by the way they interact, the way they're trying to sell you. I'm not trying to sell anybody. I don't want to sell anybody. I want people that I work with, that I know, that are known from other people that I can trust. Because especially with a community, you let the wrong people in, they can destroy it. So I'm very careful. Everybody's vetted. I don't. You can't just. You can't even go to our website right now and sign up. You can go and apply, because you're. Not, I'm not letting my brother-in-law into my community. He doesn't belong there. He does not belong there. So if I can have the conversations, okay, make an offer. We come in. That protects the group. And that's what that's all about because those people are the most important thing. And if I muddy that water because of money and because of higher numbers, I've ruined the main thing that I wanted to create.
0: I've got some questions for you, Vince. I like to ask all my guests these questions and i think it has made a a very interesting segment one of these days i might stitch them all together and make one long episode the compilation of some of these questions but the first one is this what does it take to be a man
1: it's a great question because you can go any direction with it i'm gonna i'm gonna repeat myself i really think it's character i've had years my early years of not having character and you think you're a man right what does that even mean is that how strong you are is that how tough you are no, I think, it's, I think it's character. I think it's having integrity. I think that's how you have great marriages. I think that's how you raise great kids. I think it's how you have solid friendships. I think it's how I wrote a story in my book about a guy named Scott Bainan, who was our mechanic. And he was an amazing guy. And he died unexpectedly. And we went to his funeral. How many people go to the funeral of a mechanic, right? But he was so important to our family. And then I went there and I heard all these people telling stories about Scott. And I said to his son, I said, man, I really thought we were special. And he goes, you were special. But he felt that way about everybody. He made everybody feel like they were the only ones. So Scott dies, auto mechanic in Bethel Park, Pennsylvania. Business wise, he's never going to be remembered like Elon Musk, whatever. It doesn't matter. He's remembered because of his character, because of who he was as a person. That lives on. People remember that. And that's, to me, that's what being a man is. And I'm every day striving to be better at that. Hey.
0: Excellent answer. So let's say that we can suspend the laws of space and time and you get to walk into the room and see 10-year-old Vincent. Ugh. What do you what want to tell pain him? pain that kid was. <laughs> I know. That's the way I feel about 10-year-old Josh, too. Mm. What would you tell him?
1: Oh, my goodness. Isn't this a back to the future moment? If I tell him something, is it going to screw everything up and then everything else changes? If that's the case, I don't want to say anything. Because I like right. all the mistakes that he made. I wrote in my book, Bad Choices Make Great Stories. And in both of my books, it's like, there's a lot of embarrassing stuff in there because I did a lot of wrong things. The one thing I would tell him is this. When you're turning into the left lane when you're 17 and you're not paying attention and you're not looking into the mirror, don't turn too soon. Because if I would have turned a second too soon, that 18-wheeler that came barreling towards me would have ended everything right then. I turned just in time that he hit the front. I got flown into another tractor trailer. The only kid in history that got sandwiched by two tractor trailers and still survived by it, survived from it. So just don't make that turn a little bit more. Everything else, all the other mistakes you made, live with them, learn from them, tell the stories, don't be embarrassed by them, and keep getting better.
0: Awesome. I think that's excellent. Yeah, I I think about that all the time, man. I don't want to go back and... Change my mistakes. And the other thing that a lot of people, as we walk through this question, and I think it's always interesting, is would 10-year-old you have listened to any advice anyway? Probably not. <laughs>
1: I can guarantee you 10-year-old me would not have listened to a word that 50-year-old me said. Yeah. What do you know? What do you know? What do you it was the old saying, <laughs> it's funny, the older we get, the smarter our parents start to become. So mm-hmm. no, they were always there. It's just we weren't listening.
0: Yep. Exactly. I also like to ask this question. What is your best advice for the men that are listening today?
1: To not be afraid. Honestly, it's to not be. So many men do not follow their dreams and their passions of who they want to become because they're afraid. They're afraid of the mortgage payment. They're afraid of what their friends are going to think of them. They're afraid of embarrassing themselves and because they have to maintain a certain image or they, or just that they don't believe they're good enough man the whole idea of just imposter syndrome crushes so many dreams and the more that I'm like I really don't ca-. not that I don't care what you think but I'm not going to be embarrassed by any of it I would never do these things I would never do an interview I'd never write a book because out there in the wings there's some kid from high school that's sitting there that I remember just waiting to make fun of something that I wrote or something. What? they're not thinking about you anyway they're too concerned with their own life To think about you and if they are making fun of you if they are whether it's your mother-in-law whatever it's just because of their own insecurities it's just because they couldn't do it so i'm seeing fear kill more opportunities than anything and to get rid of that and live the life that you need to live for your family that's i think that's advice that i would be happy to
0: excellent advice vincent if our listeners want to get in touch with you they want to connect with the work you're doing they like okay i got to get this guy's book i got to get plugged in with this What's yeah. the best way?
1: You can find the wealth of connection, Amazon, anywhere you can find there. everything's on our website, totallifefreedom.com We have so from free resources, from re- free courses, we have information about the community that we have and the mastermind and a pod- I did a podcast, a daily podcast for three years, eleven 1, hundred episodes. It was I took a pause on it, but there's a backlog of over a thousand episodes that people can check out. A lot of these stories, a lot of these lessons. And if they want to email me, Vincent at TotalLifeFreedom I love taking emails. It's me that responds because connection's key. Yeah. That's probably the oh. best way.
0: Awesome. Thank you, man. I really appreciate you being on the show with us today. Thank
1: you. This has been fantastic. I appreciate it.
0: Vincent. Thank you so much for being on the Manlyhood man cast today. I really appreciate you. I appreciate that you gave us the time that you gave us and the wisdom and the insight that you gave us. And uh, if you guys want to get connected with the work that Vincent is doing, his links are in the show notes, please let's go show some, show him some love. We're glad that he took the time to talk with us today and listen Guys, uh, I really believe in what we're doing here at Manlyhood, and obviously you believe in, to, in it too because you've been listening and you've been a part of it and you've been interacting on the on the social media posts and been interacting in our group at the Manlyhood Man Cave, and I just want to encourage you guys that we are going to change the world. This is not just a, a podcast that you listen to twice a week. This is a movement that you are now enlisted in and that you are a part of I want to see our impact double before we turn 10 years old in May. And so I'm going to ask you a favor. I'm going to ask you to find three people that you know this podcast would benefit, and I want you to share it with them. Because chances are one of them will listen. And if one of them listens, then we have now doubled your listenership, right? So let's spread the word. So share this with somebody. If you see our social posts, like, comment, share share them as well. And if you are using a podcast app, leave a rating or a review. But let's help get the word out about what we're doing here at Manlyhood. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for 10 years of amazing stuff. This has been pretty cool, guys, and I can't wait to see where it goes from here. I love you guys. I care about you. And I'll see you next time.